difference between hospitality and good service? Well, today we're going to be doing a book review on this amazing book called Setting the Table by Danny Meyer, who really explains the power of hospitality. But if you want to be part of this conversation, you know the drill. You got to stick around. Welcome to Waste Up Wardrobe. I'm Christine Vartanian, a civil engineer and attorney turned personal style expert and image consultant. As the founder of Jade for All Seasons, I am passionate about unveiling the inner confidence of my clients by developing their personal style. But is getting dressed up still important in our virtual world? Well, that's where my experience can help with what I call Waste Up Wardrobe. Waste Up Wardrobe is a podcast for all things you need to conduct an outstanding Zoom meeting. It's about how to dress for the camera, but it's not just about the clothes. It's about everything you need to know to show up on brand and professionally for the camera. Join me in the Waste Up Wardrobe studio to discuss how to navigate this virtual world and dominate from behind the desk. Welcome, Waste Up Wardrobe Nation. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Waste Up Wardrobe. This is episode 111. I just want to say thank you for joining us and thank you for telling your friends about us. We are on many platforms, including iTunes, where you can listen to us audibly only, but you can also find us on YouTube. And every Thursday at 1130, you can find us here on the Facebook page, bringing you a new fresh show for you to up-level your behind-the-desk presence or your entrepreneurial presence, because that is what we want to do for you. We want to give you every idea out there and bring you every guest that can help you enhance your brand and up-level your entrepreneurial brand and presence. So before I get started, I just want to say thank you so much to my awesome producer, Rick Moscoso, who's always in the production room making this entire show possible from a technology standpoint, because that is not my strength. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about the book, Setting the Table. I um, had this book recommended to me by a coach of mine, and it was really cool. And though it's only really and specifically written by a restaurateur, and it really talks about his journey building several restaurants and the successes that he experienced and why he thinks he, you know, experienced those successes, um, it really applies to everybody in business. You know, the restaurant business is a little bit unique and it is a very you know, a sensitive business where you have to really be on all the time. You have to have your hands in everything to see it succeed. But the models and the cornerstones and the nuggets he uses are so key to any business who wants to have great service and great hospitality. But Danny Meyer, uh, who authored Setting the Table, does make a distinction between good service and hospitality. And he talks about hospitality as more of a way you make people feel rather than just providing good product and adequate service. And so we're going to dig in to that really shortly here. But first, I just want to kind of give you a background on Danny Meyer, who um, he was a restaurateur. He loved cooking since a very young age, and he opened and operated five white table restaurants an urban barbecue joint, a feel-good jazz club, a new a neo roadside stand selling frozen custard burgers and hot dogs, three modern museum cafes, and an off-premises restaurant quality catering company. So he really did it all, did it all. And his influence was really uh, informed by his childhood. He talks about growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, and how he used to love trading 
lunches with his friends because he wanted to know and learn more about how his friends' family life was and how they lived and what they ate as a culture. So I thought that was really interesting. I mean, he talks about even the different kinds of ketchup and mayonnaise that other other people use that he didn't realize existed and how he really was able to create this sensitivity to, to distinguishing the difference. So I thought that was really interesting. But he also says that he also tells us about his travels with his family to Europe, especially France, where he was hugely influenced by what he experienced in France. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go through this. But he also, he opens up the book by saying about, talking about the four gifts of life, which I, I thought was such a great way to to term it. He says the four gifts of life are eye contacts, a smile, a hug, and some food. And he says that when we come out as human beings, we are driven to really provide and receive this hospitality. It's And at birth, we receive the purest hospitality transaction, he says. So what I love, and as I see, as I continue reading the book, I saw that in his book, these four gifts are sort of, he talks about them all the time and he describes them as hospitality. The eye contact, the smile, the hug, that's sort of the way you make people feel and the way you connect with people. And of course, um, nourishment and food is everything that he did as a restaurant owner, as a restaurant business. So he basically boils down all the work that he does and the way he wants to deliver his experience down to the four really key transactions in life, those three, four, I'm sorry, excuse me, the four gifts of life that you get when you are really just born. Um, so, you know, um, he also says hospitality affects everyone in the business, the guests, the community, the suppliers, the investors, everybody that runs that restaurant, supplies a restaurant, everybody is really impacted by that, or at least he made sure that they were, and that they were, you know, they were definitely felt like they were part of that community that his restaurant was putting out there. So um, he also talks about how opening a restaurant really doesn't just require knowledge of rest, the restaurant business, but it requires exceptional skills in selecting real estate, negotiating, hiring, training, motivating, purchasing, budgeting, designing, manufacturing, cooking, tasting, pricing, selling, servicing, and marketing, and hosting. And so it really is such a multidisciplinary business. And <clears throat> I don't know if, Rick, you have any thoughts on that, but I, I know you've heard this before, the restaurant business is a very hard business to run. And maybe perhaps because it involves all these interdisciplinary skills, that might be one of the reasons. What do you think, Rick? Uh, where we go? Oops, sorry, a little technical glitch there. Technology. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wasn't quite understanding your question. Yeah. So, you know, when D Danny Meyer talks about when you open up a restaurant, as a business owner who owns a restaurant, that you require a lot of skills. You have to know about real estate. You have to know about negotiating, hiring, training, motivating, purchasing, you know, about hosting. And so it's so vast, right? The, the skill set you have to have. And the restaurant business is a tough business. And I'm wondering, and actually, maybe you didn't get the question because I didn't ask a question. No. <laughs> maybe that was it. <laughs> But I would just wanted your thoughts on, you know, I mean, we know how biz, how restaurants can be a really tough 
business. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that's a gut, very gutsy business to be in and to be successful, especially, you know, a restaurant that's, you know, desirable, that's high end like that. And, uh, those, those of you who are chefs or cooks don't necessarily make the great business people that can run a restaurant, uh, and all the dynamics that, that happen way behind the scenes and way in front of the house. Right. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it can be a challenge. So I'm, I'm curious to see how he handles these dynamics in that book. Yeah. So have you um, have you heard of the book Setting the Table? I have heard of it. Uh, yeah. I just I haven't read it yet though. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you the full summary because it is pretty pretty cool. One of the things he says is that he he says that most people think, as he once did, that um, he's primarily in the business of serving good food. And he said, although food is second, he and, and he says, he makes a statement that the food is actually secondary to something that matters even more. In the end, what's most meaningful in creating positive uplifting, uh, uplifting outcomes for human experiences and human relationships is that way that they are treated, the way that you make them feel. Businesses like life is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple and that hard. And I love that statement. He says that a lot. It's that simple and it's that hard. Um, but what I love about that is in my business, I can relate that to that too. You know, people assume that because I work with your image and I provide capsule wardrobes that it's about the clothes. While that might be partly true, it really it has nothing to do with the clothes. Clothes are just the tool that you use to up-level the confidence um, the way people feel about themselves, the way they show up in business. So mm-hmm. I thought that was like such a parallel to my business. And I thought that was kind of cool. And you've heard me say that about my work. Oh, ab- absolutely. And I and tell people um, who, who um, you know, are, are in the either photography or videography business. And, and I always get a kick out of people who, you know, they buy a nice expensive camera and they automatically start advertising themselves as a professional, right? And it's like, if you don't have the eye, if you don't know, have the knowledge, you don't have the, uh, you know, aside from experience, um, just because you have an expensive camera doesn't mean you're a good photographer. Cause I've seen plenty of those out there. Um, it's more than the, the tools that you have. It's how you use the tools to make that person on the other side, really bring out anything emotional or, or evoke a response just by looking at a photograph or, or a video. So it's, it's very similar. Yeah, I just thought it was so profound. It really resonated with me, that statement he makes, that it's really not, he's not just in the business serving good food. He's in the business of making people feel a certain way. Yeah. And he goes through in his book of all these these things, these ideas of how that actually happens. Um, he starts out the book by saying, you know, just talking about his, how his passion for food began. Um, and I, like I said earlier, he was talking about how he would swap peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with his friends to kind of see what kind different um, uh, types of peanut butter and jelly his friends use. And kind of, he learned a lot just by, just from a very young age. And I love that his love just his gift was like showed up at that young of an age. I, I feel that often as children, what we're doing in play as children really kind of reflects what our gifts are going to be one day. And I just thought that was so profound and so aligned with some of the beliefs I've held 
He talks about his vacations with his family throughout his childhood, going to, you know, um, pea soup Andersons and solving, um, going to Fisherman's Wharf and really sampling the food and really appreciating it and, and kind of in a way, he was like sort of a critic of it, right? So he was appreciating it and critiquing it and understanding, trying to understand the food, which I thought was so interesting. He also talks about in France when he was just seven years old, just how he enjoyed bitter hot chocolate for breakfast and yeasty baguettes and, you know, a sour creme fraiche and just how he really learned so much from testing the flavors and being exposed to those cultures uh, and also his, his exposure to New England food. So it's so interesting, this young age and how he had this exposure that really fed his gift. And that's how he ended up really having that love for food. And it's it, he also mentions in the book that around 12, his mom started getting a little nervous because he was gaining weight and that he she was really worried about this passion uh, for food that he, ha he had. But, um, you know, he he still continued to do what he does. And he's definitely, a, a, definitely from his photograph in the book, he does not look like he's overweight. So I'm sure that wasn't a problem. Um, he opened his first restaurant called Union Square Cafe, and he was um, he wanted that to remind him of his childhood in Europe, and so that was sort of his inspiration. One of his beliefs that he talks about is be authentic and listen to your excuse me customers' opinions. I was going to say community, and then I decided to say customer. So anyway, <laughs> customers' opinions. Um, he said that when he started, you know, exploring the idea of opening uh, Union Square Cafe, that he had been met with a little bit of criticism by some critics who said that, you know, asked him, what kind of restaurant are you opening? And he said, well, I want to open up a restaurant that was a little eclectic, you know, a little bit from France, a little bit from Italy and a little bit, you know, um, American. And um, he was told that that will never fly and it won't work. And, um, you know, he, he was told that it would nobody would go for eclectic and to rethink the concept. Um but he really was confident in the fact that he was creating comp something completely different. And sometimes what people want is different. He talks about his also his restaurant Tabla, which is an Indian inspired restaurant where he got really creative because again, people, critics of his did not think that that would be um, received well. And um, he said, people are going to want either the finer authentic Indian food, or they're going to want sort of the faster food. And he decided to actually create two levels where you could go upstairs to dine with the finer Indian food. And then you had the bottom level that was a little bit more casual, which I thought was so cool because that what a great solution to really, you know, cater to your community and really give them what they want, right? Um, I also love this because I am a brand stylist that he really cared not only about the uh, food, not only about the community, but he cared about the design of his um, restaurants. Design was part of the experience for the customer. And so he really, really cared about that and he paid attention to it. So especially with Tabla, he talks a lot about in the book about how he really gave it this sort of um, 
Indian influence with like rich textiles and colors and how he really incorporated design into the experience of the restaurant. So Rick, I am curious, you know, this idea about listening to customers' opinions. I mean, he had critics talking to him, but, you know, sometimes he listened, sometimes he kind of did his thing. But, you know, what is your experience from a business perspective about listening to the customer um, feedback, experiences, how, what they're feeling and experiencing so that you can, you know, fold that into the experience for them? Well, I think the, <clears throat> the biggest point is if you are, willing to take that feedback, you have to take it professionally and not personally, number one. Yeah. yeah. Um, number two is that it is a, uh, is a, is a great way to, for you to give the customers what they want because it's them telling you what they want. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm in a situation where every Friday we're serving, um, about a hundred to 125 people. Right. And, I'm at the tip of the spear because I'm the first one they see. And, and for the most part, I've made, I've made every effort to really uh, make their experience good. Even, you know, even though we're a club, but at the same time, it's like you're a smiley face, you're a welcoming face. When they come in, when they sit down after a while, I make sure to hit every table and, and uh, um, you know, have a short conversation with them. So even in the, even so even when a meal isn't perfect the impact of that with a person isn't as harsh as it could be if you had some somebody who just wanted to complain right because uh, many situations uh, sure something was underdone or overdone and you come around and you know you apologize and you have a nice conversation and you do what you know is right and you replace it or you give them a certificate for the next time around. Uh, boy, I tell you, that that sort of thing, when you start from when they come into the place, um, diffuses anything, right? And it almost gets to the point where if they even speak up, they feel embarrassed, right? Uh, because they don't want to make a scene. It's not that big of a deal, uh, that, that sort of thing. And so, you know, for, for us, we found a way to do it that works. I found a way that works for me. Um, and uh, I think it's the same in, uh, you know, even our day-to-day -day business. Yeah. So he talks about that concept and he calls it enlightened hospitality. Mm -hmm. uh, so which I think is really clever. And he says the idea of enlightened hospitality in which the get, the customers feel special and included as if they are part of the restaurant, right? not just uh, patrons, right? They are part of this. It's They matter. He talks about it not being negotiable because he really wants to make sure that one of his core values is to extend that, um, is to extend that gracious hospitality not only to the guests, but the community as well and the suppliers and their investors. Like he keeps everybody in that sort of ecology of the of the of the restaurant. And he also says this enlightened hospitality includes something really, really important. That's empathy. He talks about empathy, which I think is so important in any business. Empathy is really the thing that makes your customer feel heard and it makes them feel as if you care about them more than just, you know, the, the transaction. So when mm -hmm. he gives an example of, you know, somebody showing up to their reservation 20 minutes late and instead of, you know, berating them or kind of saying, Oh, you're out of luck. You have to wait a little longer. He, he, he greets them with, oh, I'm sure you had um, you, you, something happened on the way that delayed you. Let me, I'm glad you're here now, you know, so that, 
that way of reacting is so much better. I mean, because at the end of the day, most people will seat you anyway. So why polarize somebody by saying, mm -hmm. oh, you're late, now you have to wait, you know, or something like that, where you can you really make them feel like it's okay. I can put myself in your shoes. I've been late before and you are really important to us. So he really focused on how the relationship with the guests is important for repeat business and for that long-term trust with the, with the pay, with the client and the customer. And so he says like, when you adopt this enlightened hospitality business model, you are focusing on that long-term success, that long-term success of the business you know he um he says that um you know the good relationship with the guest is really everything because they're sort of your fans out there when they have a great experience they will go out and say great things and you want them to be your positive advertisement in the community he also talks about the quality of the staff he says the high quality staff should be full of what he calls 51 percenters. And this kind of goes back to sort of the empathy piece. So he says that he, when he hires, he hires 40%, 49% based on skill level and 51% based on emotional job performance, which I find fascinating. I feel that I totally agree with this because you want to be hiring people that are great, that are people, 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 right? <laughs> that are friendly, that greet people with a smile because making people feel a certain way, greeting them, welcoming them, that warmth really pays off in a relationship. And especially if you're very relationship driven in your business, as he says he is, that trust, that relationship, you want to have the people that can do that. He talks about how you can always train for more technical skill, but it's impossible to train for emotional skill. And I completely agree. And so when he hires his employees, he wants people to possess that sort of optimistic uh, warmth, the intelligence, curiosity to learn, that work ethic, empathy, self-awareness, and integrity, which, I mean, that's sort of the recipe for somebody that really, really wants to create a great experience for somebody else. So you want to make sure that your customers, he says, are nourished with this warmth so that because not only do you want to shower them with warmth, but you're not only feeding them, you're actually nurturing them and at the same time. Um, and I feel as though he also talks about how it's so important once you have those employees that you actually nurture your employees. So this kind of goes full circle around the idea of the community, right? Is that once you find these great employees, you wanna take care of them. You wanna provide them great training, resources, opportunities, fair income, because you want them to feel valued and you want them to stick around. What do you think, Rick? What say you? Uh, I can't find the buttons, okay. <laughs> You're having, oh, oh my today. god, my mouse is uh, failing. <laughs> no, I think that goes along with everything that uh, uh, we, we've been talking about. It's such an important um, thing to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this idea of, you know, it's almost like the employee uh, journey 
in your organization has to align with that customer journey. So as much as you take care of your customers, you also have to take care of your employees. And the whole idea of hiring for empathy, that 51 percenters, that you want them to have the empathy so that they can be optimistic and friendly and relatable and create relationships. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah, if you treat your employees in that way, then that carries over in how they're going to treat your 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 customers that come in, and it's it's so important uh, in any organization, any leader from a leadership uh, position, that it's uh, it's trickle down behavior. You know, if you think about it, like in in a family dynamic, right, with a parent and a child, um, look how many look how many uh, children that are on two ends of the spectrum and then you 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 kind of question i wonder if the parents are like that and then you meet that parent it's like oh yeah the kids are splitting image of them you know either good or bad but it's like it starts with the the leader right yeah yeah so i just think that is such a key thing right sort of taking care of your employees but also hiring the right people to help with the customer journey because I, you know, I talk about this all the time when I'm working with my branding clients. It's that the, um, you know, the, the the customer journey is so important to the way people talk about you when they go out. But the the employee journey is really important too because they are your fans. They can be, or they might not if you're not treating them well, right? Mm-hmm. So it is really, really important, and. Um, he talks about another point he makes is that you can't just serve food. You must also serve community. Again, it kind of goes back to same core value he has. And what he means by that in this segment is that, you know, he likes to make connections to the neighborhood he's in. And you'll know in the book, he's opened up multiple restaurants. One of them was Union Square Cafe. It was named after Union Square. Gramercy Tavern, which is close to Gramercy Park. Um, and 11 Madison Park, which is, of course, near Madison Park. So he almost like makes himself part of the community by adopting the name. And I thought that was really, really clever to feel like you're rooted in the community and that the community kind of owns you in a way. Like, you know, you're part of, you own part of the community, they own part of you. You're kind of in it together. I thought that was a really great way to enhance that community around, um, building a business like a restaurant like he did multiple of them the other thing he talks about is really feeding the people in the community that don't have enough he had done a fair share of that with his businesses but he felt like it was so important to his core values because um you know you you, the people are less fortunate are part of that community and what better way to serve than to help those who really don't have enough and i thought that was really really a great way to be part of the community to give to give to be give a gift he talks about how they would take foods food to the local hospice and he says that you know um you know, you, these people are, are experiencing a tough emotional experience and they're confronted maybe steps away from dying and you actually get to be part of their last smile. I mean, that is so powerful. So he also talks about in order to kind of keep that community feel to hire local suppliers, He's t- he had this um, like partnership with Evian Water because Evian Water was um, contributing to 
charities in the in the in the community um, and how he would support them by providing their water. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like full circle goes all the way around. And I don't know, Rick, sort of this idea of ecosystem with the community where you can really give and take and kind of be um, a giver to all these elements in the community. What do you think about that? I think that's such a great idea, right? I mean, that's, yeah, that, that is a great idea. In fact, uh, you know, I don't, uh, uh, I know when I go to farmers markets in, in the areas around me, um, right, they have great vegetables or great uh, whatever is they're selling. They have great stuff. And then I know local restaurants around here um, will support them by using their, you know, what the things that they offer. And it's such a it's such a great outreach to the community to bring them in uh, because, hey, they're using, you know, they're buying this the X, Y and Z from 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 us. They're farm fresh. They're um you know they're supporting they're supporting us they're supporting the the um um the area around us and 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 i i think it's it's it it helps sustain the community around around them and you know in 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 the end brings in more people they feel good because he's a supporter of the community or the restaurants a supporter of the community and so if you if you think along those lines and how you can get people around you more involved uh, whether they're a, a vendor or just, um, you know, whatever it is, I, I think that that goes such a long way and 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 makes them feel good because now they feel like they're a part of the the their customer experience because now they're you know they're using their resources. Yeah, yeah. I I just thought that you know it's such a good core value to have is to support those around you um it's almost like you know building businesses on each other's backs in a way right mm -hmm. and and that is the way it should be he talks about capitalizing on positive press opportunities and he talks about how that's like a straight shot to raving fans right if you can use um you know things that happen um to solidify your relationship, take advantage of it. He uses one example. Um, it was really clever. So I just thought it was interesting what they did as in the, in, in, a, in an effort, they were serving one of their patrons, but um, it kind of evolved into this really good press for him. So he, um, uh, a lady that was coming to dine at his restaurant, uh, walked into her restaurant. She had, she was a little bit frazzled because she had forgotten her phone and her wallet in the taxi cab. And um, they were, they took, they basically comforted her when she walked in. They um, were really trying to tell her to enjoy her food and that they would comp the, the, the meal until, you know, she, um, you know, found her wallet or whatnot, but they took it one step further. And he said something to his general manager. He said, I know we can create a legend out of this somehow. So what they did was they sent the general manager to go and connect, find the taxi cab driver, I guess they called in and he actually went and met the taxi cab driver, retrieved her phone and wallet, brought it to her. I mean, if somebody did that for me at a restaurant, I would forever be a fan. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt about it. I mean, especially in this day and age, when you think you, you lost something valuable like that, it's like, I'm never going to see it again. You know? Yeah. Well, but the idea to think about doing that, to go, this is not just the extra mile. This is like the extra several miles to mm -hmm. actually 
help this individual that is important to them. And that's how he really built community. He said that the round trip taxi to meet the drive, the, the driver cost the restaurant like 31 bucks, but the value of the woman's story and her positive word of mouth is probably worth a hundred times than that. And the positive press that came out of it was just yeah. incredible. That's yeah. Amazing. That's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So he, I mean, he's just, I think, um, he was just so in tune with how to provide, not provide just good food and good service, but to tap into that empathetic side, the emotional side and the compassionate side to make his clients feel and his customers feel like they are important to him. So that I think really is going over and beyond. Um, you know, he talks, with, he ends with sort of a technical thing about expansion as in the restaurant business because you know he had his father was a restaurant tour i believe or had a restaurant if i'm not mistaken and if i remember this collect correctly but he had expanded too fast and he failed and he had witnessed this and he knew that um it happens a lot in the restaurant business and he didn't want to repeat that. And he said the key to expansion is really going through a process slowly, carefully, not rushing and being really strategic about it. He had had an opportunity to expand and turned it down because he realized he didn't have a managerial depth and he knew that would turn into a problem. So he, as much as he wanted to do it, he didn't do it. He also had another opportunity. This is a good, another good story that of opening up a restaurant in this um, place where there would be live jazz music. It was the jazz at the Lincoln Center. And there was a lot of restaurants opening up there, but there was this beautiful jazz hall and they were going to be playing jazz music and um there's going to be a big TV station and several other elite restaurants. And he actually didn't go for the opportunity and decide not to open the restaurant. And he tells a story of driving past that location with his eight-year-old daughter. And um, he asked her, hey, you know, I, I'm, I was going to open a restaurant there. What do you think? Do you think I should have done it? And she responds in this way. She says, she burst into tears and said, I never want you to have a restaurant where people are going there for some other reason than your restaurant. I thought that was so clever. Rick, what do you think about that? And she, in her opinion, this eight-year-old's opinion, right? People go to your restaurant because they want to be at your restaurant, not because they're coming for another attraction. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I, Obviously, you go to a restaurant for the food, but you also, I think, over overriding that even more is the experience and the atmosphere and the ambiance, right? How does that make you feel? Um, <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be a high-end, expensive restaurant. Uh, um, it can be just something that's very casual, but you feel like you feel like you're at home, you know, and somebody's mm -hmm. cooking for you, right? And, and it's and so I totally agree with the with the kid. I mean, she she hit the nail on the head, right? Well, she was saying to her dad, like, I'm happy you didn't expand there because I, I want them to come to for the food. She was basically mm -hmm. saying your food should be the main attraction, not the background perks, right? Oh, I misunderstood that. Yeah, yeah. That's what she was saying. She was okay. saying, I'm so happy you didn't do that because if somebody comes to your restaurant, I want them to be coming to your restaurant for the restaurant and that to be the main attraction, which I thought was just really smart coming from a young person, you know, and I think it just kind of uh 
corroborated his decision. He felt good about not having opened that one. So, <laughs> uh, so he talks about just really being strategic and cautious when you are going to expand, not not to do it because he actually opened several restaurants, but to be strategic about it, which I think is um, really, really um, good advice. You know, I. Just, so how I, was that? So let me ask you. So how was that one different than the other ones that he had? Did, did he specify? You mean uh, Union Square as compared to the other ones? Uh, other compared ones? to the one where he was glad he didn't open it up there. Uh, well, I, you know, they're all, okay. So like the first one he we talk about, right? Union Square, mm -hmm. that was, had a very eclectic menu. So it was from like France and Italy and American food. And it was that that one restaurant that he was told isn't going to work because people don't want eclectic, but because it was different that way, it actually worked. And then he opened Tabla, which I had a very, uh, had a very Indian um, twist to it, very Indian um, influence with the spices and everything, but he took it to a different level and pre presented it differently and created those two separate uh, quarters where you could dine high, fine dining, Indian dining, and more casual. So I think those made them different. Now, the one that he um, didn't open, you know, I don't know. I guess I don't know what it would have been like, but I think he just decided that it wasn't the right timing. Mm. And that's why he didn't okay. open it. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, because I don't really remember specifically why he ended up not doing it. I think the one of the first times he declined opening the restaurant was because he didn't have the bandwidth. He didn't have the, the workforce and he just didn't want to be in a position where he was, you know, stuck. And that's what he means when he says you got to really move slowly and strategically. Right. Think about it. Not not to do it, but to do it in a strategic way. You have have everything in place um, or at least have a plan before you go for it. The restaurant business is tough. You know, you it can't. Is. Yeah. But I just think that the book is an excellent read. It's easy read. It's an excellent read for anybody who's in business for themselves because hospitality isn't just about food. Hospitality is how you make people feel, right? He talks about that elevated, enlightened way of, of being hospitable. And it's not just about serving a good quality product. It's about the way you do it and the way you make people feel when you do it. Um, my favorite line, which I'm going to take as a takeaway from this book and highlight it, is that he says, you may think as I once did that I'm I'm primarily in the business of serving good food. Actually, though, food is secondary to something that matters even more. In the end, what's most meaningful is creating positive, uplifting outcomes for human experiences and human relationships. Business, like life, is all about how we make people feel. It's that simple and that hard. And with that, I will say that is, I, I couldn't have wrapped it up any better for the Waste Up Wardrobe um, weekly wrap up. But I just want to say what a great read if you're in business for yourself. We do have a hashtag that I am springing on Rick right now. Hashtag hospitality and shine. Hospitality and shine. Hashtag hospitality and shine. And what you could get for that with that hashtag, if you put it into the comments, is I will... I would love to jump on a call with you and talk about your elevated customer service, how you can really create hospitality, sort of that elevated way of serving your client so that you can create a better customer journey because the customer journey is one of those key suites in building a brand 
in building your business. And, you know, we're all about branding here. So with the hashtag hospitality and shine, put it in the comments and let's get on a call about and talk about the customer journey. How do people experience you? How are you delivering your story? And with that, Thank you for joining us for another episode of Waste Up Wardrobe, um, episode 111. You know we're here every Thursday at 1130 Pacific time where we bring you a new, fresh entrepreneurial topic or something that will help you dominate from behind that desk. <laughs>